Hi, this is Dr. J.P. Sanchez, president for Building the Next Generation of Academic Physicians, as well as editor of a new book um, entitled Succeeding in Academic Medicine, a Roadmap for Diverse Medical Students and Residents. I'm happy and excited to have Dr. Jose Rodriguez here um, as a part of our podcast, whereby we introduce um, our co-authors of the book and have them share their perspective on contributing to the book. How's it going, Jose? Oh, today's a great day. It's wonderful to hear your voice. Great. Likewise, likewise. So as you know, um, when, when we started talking about this book, we came together because we really wanted to ensure that more diverse individuals, medical students, residents, and fellows stayed on track to becoming future, future academicians. So can you share a little bit about your own um, diverse background? Oh, no problem. So like you, I was born in New York to Puerto Rican parents. And so I would call myself Puerto Rican if it wasn't for the fact that I was born in New York. So I will say New Yorican. And I will say that um, that is probably my principal underrepresented group that I come from. Excellent. Thank you. And can you share also a little bit about your educational and professional journey, where you went to medical school, residency, if you've done any fellowships, and what faculty positions you've held? Oh, good heavens. All right. It depends on how much time you have. So I will start with college because I live in Utah right now. I'll say that I went to undergraduate here in Utah at Brigham Young University. And I uh, think the only reason that that's relevant is because I did my honors thesis on Latinx identity, even, you know, whatever it was 30 years ago or maybe 25 years ago. And it was all about, you know, Puerto Rican culture and what it is to be Puerto Rican living and growing up in the United States. And so it was published in 1993 and it was called I'm Not White, which I think was an excellent title because it really did kind of bring together how Puerto Ricans see themselves on the island, how Puerto Ricans see themselves in New York and in other places and, and where those two intersect. So that's probably when I started working in diversity was then. And then after that um, time at BYU, I went to Cornell, which I guess is called Whale Cornell now in Manhattan for medical school. Wonderful opportunity for me. Learned a ton, hard as hell. I will tell you that one of the things that got me through it was BLHO and SNMA. I mean, if it wasn't for my colleagues of color, I would have died. They were supportive and wonderful. I had a, a roommate who was actually New Yorican like us, um, who actually really helped me see who I was and how I fit into this place that I had never been before. And it was really uh, an, um, an intense learning and growing experience for me. I decided to do family medicine coming out of Cornell, which was an interesting choice, seeing as as well, Cornell still doesn't have a family medicine department, and I had to do all of my family medicine rotations essentially outside of our teaching hospitals. Uh, but it was the right choice for me. Uh, my roommate, who is Dr. Joseph Perez, also went into family medicine, and he had a great positive influence on me. And he's one of those people that really helped me get involved in things, well, what's called LMSA now, but it was called uh, was Boricua Latino Health Organization when, when we were in school. And that's really what would save me because it was just so hard. Um, I did my family medicine residency in the Bronx in the beautiful 
Bronx. You uh, mean the boogie Austin. down Bronx? The beautiful, the beautiful boogie, boogie down. down Bronx. You ain't, you ain't lying. It was wonderful. I remember walking into my interview and it was on Halloween in uh, 1997, maybe. And there was 10 of us interviewing and five of us were actually uh, students of color. Changed how I did every other residency interview. And it made it clear to me that I wanted to be at Montefiore and that's where I matched. So I did the residency program in social medicine, the family medicine track. And then when I graduated, I uh, took a job at uh, Jacoby Medical Center. Back then it was called the New York Medical Alliance, but it was Jacoby in North Central Bronx. And I worked there and I had a faculty appointment at Albert Einstein College of Medicine. Uh, I was there for a few years and I, that's where I really got into teaching medical students after I graduated. And it was fun, it was interesting, it was healing in a lot of ways because they kept me on my toes and it helped me see where I wanted to go. So I, w I left uh, Einstein as an instructor and actually went to um, Florida State University College of Medicine, brand new College of Medicine. It was a fantastic opportunity for me and a great, um, a great system because it was really uh, done in a way that family medicine was kind of at the forefront. And I got there, was promoted to associate professor and became a full professor in those 11 years that I was there. I learned how to write there. I learned a lot about how diversity science actually could help change academic medicine. And I ran into wonderful colleagues. One of them is a friend of ours, Dr. Kendall Campbell, who when the time he got there, he was interested in writing more about minority faculty development, which was one of my interests. And you know, we started working on a center that we had, which was the Center for Academic Medicine, Center for Underrepresented Minorities in Academic Medicine at Florida State. We published a lot of papers. We learned a lot about who we are and what we could do to actually move this needle. During my time at Florida State, I also completed a fellowship in faculty development at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. That was great. Boy, if I could repeat that fellowship, I would do it because it changed my life. It really helped a ton as I was trying to figure out what my role would be in writing. Like many, uh, like many of us, I graduated from med school and said, I'm just going to see patients. You know, at the end of this, there's nothing else that I want to do more. But I realized that seeing patients, it would be great for me if I could reproduce more of me. And the only way to do that was to actually go into a faculty role to help create more people like me to do the work that I thought was important. And so that's where we are today. I guess I, guess I should say that that is not where we are today because I left Florida in 2016, came out here to the University of Utah, uh, became a full professor here. And after a couple years here, I was asked to become the interim uh, associate vice president for health equity and inclusion. And in some very near future, that's going to become a, uh, a quote unquote permanent position for our office, which will give us the opportunity to actually move forward and get 
the things done that need to be done as we transform our campus to be more welcoming and to be a leader in diversity campus transformation. Excellent. Congratulations on all your successes. Well deserved. Well deserved. Thank you. So uh, you mentioned um, writing and, and how writing um, played a role in, in sharing your voice and in your promotion. Um, why did you decide to contribute to this book and specifically on the, on the chapter of converting research work to scholarship? Oh, what a great question. There's two reasons why I decided to write on this chapter. I'm not gonna lie, one of them happens to be Dr. J.P. Sanchez. <laughs> but the other reason is because it is so important. The kind of stuff that we talk about in that chapter is stuff that we wish we had learned while we were in medical school or while we were residents. And this is the kind of stuff that you think about development, right? There's two ways to learn if we're, we're talking about development of, you know, when we were kids. When we were kids, we could learn from the mistakes that we made personally or from the mistakes that our parents and our friends made. And so what I wanted to do is make it so people didn't have to make the same mistakes I made to get to where I am today. And that was the whole purpose of, of writing that. And it was wonderful because it also gave us an opportunity to kind of map out where we've been. Uh, and I, I found that to be both meaningful and, and healing. Yeah, no, just like you're sharing your journey today, I mean, the chapter provides beautiful narratives by you and Dr. Campbell, so thank you for that. Um, many, many of our faculty um, and our trainees struggle with writing. Um, what was one challenge that you encountered in writing this book chapter, and how did you overcome it? So, you know, it's interesting because writing a book chapter is very different than writing an article. And we've written lots of articles. And so transferring those skills from article writing to book chapter writing, while some of it is straightforward, some of it is a little different. And so that was one of the challenges. Another challenge was actually, so when you write an article, you do have this opportunity a lot of times to have kind of number data sets. And a lot of the stuff that we have to present here was based on number data sets, but it was also based on our own personal experience and trying to outline what our personal experience was and how it actually colored what we did was actually a new challenge. We hadn't done that a lot in, in our writings in journals. Excellent, excellent. So um, many of the learners or listeners have probably already read the chapter, but for those who haven't, can you share one or two nuggets from the chapter that you would like people to really come away with? Hmm. So I think the first thing that I want people to come away with is that unlike, uh, 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 contrary to common belief is what I should say, everyone can do this, all right? For a long time, I thought that the only way to do this was because you had a gift or because you met somebody and all that stuff is all luck and nonsense. These are actually skills that we can be taught and that can be learned and that we can get good at. But nobody told us this when we were in residency or when we were in medical student 
or even when we were in college, we had no idea. And so that's the first thing. And the second thing is that you should not, when you're trying to put together what is an academic portfolio, I think you should get a lot of opinions from leaders and from people you trust. But there's a part of this that is you deciding where you want to make your mark. And sometimes it might not be in the place that you wanted to make your mark when you were in residency. Because when I graduated from residency, all I wanted to talk about was eating vegetables and running marathons. And uh, then I stopped running marathons and I stopped eating vegetables. And so it wasn't as interesting for me. And I'm only kidding about that. I still eat vegetables, but I can't run marathons anymore because I got hurt. And so trying to figure out where my passion was going to be, it became clear to me that I wanted to help my patients and the patients who looked like me and the patients who would have, who essentially are just younger, smarter, better looking versions of me. And that's where the passion came to actually sit down and write about where we are and how we can move forward. Excellent, excellent. And specifically around for um, medical students, residents, and fellows, any additional tips on how to make sure that they convert their research work into scholarship? So the first thing I would say is, you know, when you're starting your research, have the manuscript in mind. You know, uh, Stephen Covey talks about beginning with the end in mind. Every project should become a manuscript, should become an article. Now, a lot of times we don't do it like that because we're not wired like that or we weren't taught like that. So a lot of times I'll end up doing a quality improvement project or a project on, for example, one of my earliest publications was about a mobile unit to teach about obesity, for example. And I did the project first, and then I tried to retrofit it into this format. And that was hard, hard work. And we were able to do it. We had the numbers. We had all this stuff. But really, going forward with, an, with a plan of how the manuscript is going to look at the beginning is far easier than trying to retrofit it. But we should also remember that sometimes a research project doesn't always have to be this data-driven original article. And sometimes it can inform a perspectives piece or it can perform, inform different uh, article types that are accepted by journals. And this will actually, this sometimes can be actually more valuable than the data itself because of what the people who were involved learned. And so there's all sorts of ways to do this Obviously, different promotions committees count those things differently. But at the end of the day, it is the writing about it that helps people get promoted. But more important than promotion, it is the writing about it that helps others who read this see what has been done and what can be done to build on it. And that's really a, a beautiful thing because we can advance the science with lots of different types of publications. 
Excellent, excellent. Well, um, Dr. Rodriguez, I want to thank you again for spending this time with us for the podcast series, and thank you for all your contributions to Bingap, and we're looking forward to working with you over the next 10 years.